good to, to be back together and looking at complementary theology. All right, so let's do a, a little bit of review. Uh, somebody give me one of the traits of biblical manhood. There were three. Humble leadership. Thank you. What else? Give me another one. Gentle something. <laughs> Gentle strength. Gentle strength, yes. <laughs> Good. What was the third one? Starts with two S's. Selfless? Service. Sacrifice. Close. <laughs> All right, good. Uh, men, did you do your homework over the last two weeks? Did you ask somebody close to you where you were strong, where you were weak in these? This means yes. This means no. Okay. Uh, ladies, or not just the ladies, give me the one of the three traits of biblical womanhood. A long memory. No. <laughs> <laughs> they are gifted with that to to much of our demise, but no. Paige Paige led this this part of our our lesson last week. Purity. Okay. Yes, fearless hope. There's one. Go ahead and give it to give it to us, Kayla. Internal beauty and willful submission. There you go. So fearful, fearless, not fearful, fearless hope, internal beauty, willful submission. Ladies, did you do your homework this week? Did you have someone close to you? About where you're strong, where you're weak in these? Alright, so we got some no's, got a couple yeses. Good. Keep having these conversations because they are for your good. The people who know you the best see you the clearest. And they often see you clearer than you see yourselves. So you may think that you're doing really well in an area. Husbands may think that they're doing really well at at leading their families. And their wives can say, no, I don't think you are. So ask and discuss. All right, so today we are talking about gender roles, about the roles of men and women, specifically in the home. And so let's start off with the point game. That hopefully won't get anyone in too deep of a trouble. Uh, So I'm going to ask you some questions. And I want you to tell me whether you think the primary person who does this in the home is the man or the woman. The husband or the wife. So we'll, we'll do it this way. If your answer, if you think that the person who should do this is primarily the husband, I want you to point to this side of the church. So just... One hand straight out to this side, towards the cemetery, where hopefully none of our husbands will end up after this game is over. Uh, If you think that the primary person who should do this function is the wife or the woman, I'm going to have you point your hand out to this way, to the sunrise, which is beautiful, like our ladies. Um, I'm trying to protect myself from ending up in the cemetery. All right, so here are the questions. And, and there's a catch to this. Some of these, you may be tempted to say, well, both of us do this, but that ruins my fun. So you can't choose both. You have to pick one. So 
Own it. Don't hide your answer. Don't do one of these. Like full arm extension is what we're looking for. One way or the other. So who is or who should be, in your opinion, who should be the primary person who cooks the food? Husbands, wives. Hey, got some wives. Man, we are all we are all leaning this way. No both, Debbie. You're ruining the fun. (laughs) All right. Uh, If the family is taking a trip, who is the primary person who drives the car? Okay. (laughs) Tom, we've got Tom's our our standout. (laughs) Uh, Who is the primary person who handles finances, budgets, accounts? All right. So we've got some some balance that way. So we've got some wives, a a few husbands. Uh, Primary person who does the laundry. Okay. Uh, primary person who cleans the bathroom. <laughs> My wife is the. <laughs> uh, primary person who vacuums. <laughs> We've got some some mix up here. Uh, primary person who mows the yard. Okay. Uh, primary person who teaches children. Okay. This is so let's say let's say personal. How does it work in your home? I started off the, the other way, but let's let's start off how it is. So who does it in your house? Primary person who teaches the children. No and no both. All right. Primary person who initiates affection. <laughs> okay. Uh, primary person who plans date night. Okay. That's good. Uh, primary person who reads scripture with the family. (laughs) Primary person that prays for the family. Oh, yeah, but we're not doing should be. Not yet. Uh, Primary decision who makes decisions for the family. Right. This is a question. There's there's understanding. There's both. But I'm asking who's the primary on this. Here's a fun one. Who's the first person to apologize after a fight? (laughs) Okay. Who's the person who helps kids with homework? Up to a certain level. <laughs> Up to a certain level. Uh, who's the primary person that makes life easier for everyone else at home? So here's here's the reason for this game. One, it's fun, and, and we all our, our home lives look a little bit different. And and no, I I don't care, and I don't think there's biblical warrant to say wives should cook the food and husbands should cut the grass. That's not the the purpose of this game. The reality is is I saw it. Maybe some of you that sat in the back saw it better, but there were very different answers to some of these questions. And a lot of, and in most of them, not all of them. Most of the times, the, the, the unit, the family unit, pointed in the same direction, with some exceptions. Um, 
But, but we, have, we have ideas and we have ways that work in our homes of what husbands do and what wives do. And in a lot of ways, those ideas can sometimes conflict with one another or conflict with what other people think it should be. But this morning, I, I want us to look at families. I want us to look at husbands, I want us to look at wives, and I want us to look at children. And I, I want to ask the question, what calling does God place on each of us in these roles and why? So, to do that, we're going to look at Scripture because there's nowhere else to turn. So, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. Grab a Bible, turn there, and let's dive in. Will somebody read for us Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, and going all the way to chapter 6, verse 4? Ray, will you read that for us? Uh, Verse 21 in chapter 5, and read to the end of verse 4 in chapter 6. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. And gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to itself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated its own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are the members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become as one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let one... Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. That it may go well, and you and you that may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. But bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord. Thank you, Ray. All right, we'll just start off with overview. You tell me what stands out to you from the passage. Where does your eye get caught? Yep, that's a big one. We'll come back to that one. But it's a good one. It's where most of our eyes get caught. Yeah, which makes sense, doesn't it? If you obey your parents, they won't kill you. 
that you may live long in the land. He who loves his wife loves himself. Yes. There's a really, I don't have a better word, it's a ridiculous way of viewing this passage and this command. But it's, and it's fairly new, but there's some who read this and they will say, well, in order for husbands, what Paul is saying is in order for husbands to truly love their wives, they have to first really love themselves because you cannot love someone else if you do not love yourself. Paul is not teaching you to love yourself here. That's not something that we ever have to learn. We already know how to love ourselves. There's an assumption here. You know how to love yourself. Love your wife that way. And don't give any reasons to shoot you while you sleep. <laughs> yes, that's, that goes without saying, I would hope. Uh, what else? What else do you see in the passage? Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Yes. What else? Yeah. And who's that directed to? Fathers. Right? Like in this section on children, when when Paul is talking to children and how they relate to their parents, and then he turns the page and he says, this is how parents should relate to their children. He doesn't actually say anything to the mothers. But he says, fathers, do not aggravate your children. Do not provoke them. But teach them. I say both admonishment and encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think there's a reason why not all love their husbands? I do, and we'll come to that. Yeah, it's it's an important question that we don't ask too often when we read this passage, but we need to ask it. Um, so I'm going to table it. We'll come back to it today. Uh, what else? Anything else that you see in the passage that hasn't been said? All right, well, let's do this. Look, I want you to give me, I want you to look at the passage, and I want you to give me the verbs, the, the command verbs that Paul tells wives. What does he tell wives? He says, do this. What is it? There, there's two of them. Submit. Submit's one of them. What's the other one? Respect. Respect. Good. All right, what are the verbs, the commands for husband? Love and and not sanctify. It's a trick question. He says it's the same word four times. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. Love your wives. Love your wives. He says it four times. That's the only command he gives husbands. He gives examples that explain that command, but the command doesn't change. Love your wives. And then the children. He gives two commands. Teach. Obey and Teach. honor. And then he does give the, the commands to, to fathers. Do not provoke and bring them up. Teach them. You see, often one of the things we, we have to understand is that when the Bible gives a command, there's a reason for it. There's. And more often than not, the reason that is, is because we are prone to do something else, to do the opposite of that command. Uh, it's, it's very similar to these, some of these ridiculous uh, laws that states have. For example, the state of North Carolina has a law that says you are not allowed to plow your cotton fields with an elephant. Now, 
my understanding is that at some point along the way in the state of North Carolina, someone tried to plow their cotton fields with an elephant. And, and the state said, we shouldn't do that. We need a law against this. And so the same, the same understanding, if we draw out this line of thinking, there is a command here, which means that we are prone to do something else. Wives are told to submit and to respect their husbands because they are prone not to. Husbands are told to love their wives because they are prone not to. Children are told to obey and honor their parents because they are prone not to. Wives, what are some reasons that you don't want to submit and respect your husband? Because he's wrong. Because he's wrong. I'm not going to argue that point. <laughs> it's good. What else? I know you have these reasons. What are they? You're just, don't be shy. Tell them. Because I guarantee you, you're not the only wife in the room who feels this. Lack of trust. Lack of trust. Yeah. How do I know that what he's, is, what he's doing is for my good? It's good. What else? Okay. Abuse is a big one. He's not worthy of respect or submission. Yeah. Others? All right, husbands, your turn. What are some reasons that you don't want to love your wife? Here's your chance, Justin. You can throw it right back out. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll give a free pass. Wives, you can't get mad at your husbands for anything they say. Husbands, give me some answers. Stubbornness, please. Yeah. Stubbornness. What else? Another one of those S words. Okay. Yeah. There's that long memory we talked about. <laughs> what about selfishness? Oh. <laughs> right? I mean, Paige and I have had this conversation. We've been married now 11 years and have had this ongoing realization, it seems like, every year. I see even more clearly deeper levels of my own selfishness, right? Like before I got married, I would have said, yeah, I can be selfish at times. And then I got married and it's like, I have more times where I'm selfish than times when I'm not. And I can't love my wife if I'm being selfish. Others? All right, children, no matter your age, you're still a child. What are some reasons that you don't want to honor and obey your parents? Because you see what's going on in the background and you think what else is wrong. Okay. They didn't honor God. Yeah, they didn't honor God. Hypocritical. It's good. 
You think you know better. No more. Yeah. Man, if we, if, if the assumed intelligence of teenagers was the actual mark of intelligence, teenagers would be the world leaders. No offense. We've all been there. Other reasons? Parents aren't there for my good. They're in the way. They can yell. They get loud. I mean, part of part of being a teenager in, in one of the, the foundational times of, of a teenager's life is this growth into an individual, a person who stands on their own two feet, who makes their own decisions, who who has the authority and the willpower and the knowledge to think and act for themselves. And they are growing into adults who do those things, but they are not yet there. You, you are not yet there. Um, and, and so. What happens is the teenager thinks that they're farther along this path than they actually are. And the parent tends to think that they're farther behind the path than they actually are. And the two sides, like Sarah said, clash. The teenager wants to make decisions for themselves. The parent wants to make more decisions than is necessary for their child. And they clash. Good. So you see that the reason these commands are in Scripture is because we are prone to do the opposite. We don't want to do these things, and God's Word says, you must. But let's, let's draw this out in another way. If the Bible tells a shepherd to feed his sheep, what can we assume, what can we infer that the sheep need? Food. They need something to eat. Right? So... These commands, if we take the same line of thinking, we can infer similar things about what we need. Wives, the reason you are commanded to submit to and respect your husbands is because your husbands need respect. Husbands, the reason you are commanded to love your wives is because wives need your love. Children. The reason you are commanded to obey and to honor your parents is because your parents need your honor. And we don't often think about this passage this way. And, and, and it's, it's important because it's such a huge part of this passage. I think we so often get lost in these, these buzzwords like submission and sacrifice and obedience We don't really like reading those words. And so we either really zero in and try to understand what that word means and we miss the rest of it. Or we just skip over it and say, this passage isn't for me. I mean, honestly, I don't like these words any more than you do. But I I don't think that we can get caught up on the words that we don't like and risk missing the underlying principles of the passage. You see, the way that we should approach these commands is to consider what the other person needs and how we are called by God to meet that need. And again, this is important because we are selfish people. We like what we like and we want what we want when we want it. We tend to think 
that the way we think is how everyone else thinks. And they just don't. I mean, we've spent the last two weeks talking about the differences between men and women. Right? Men, your wives don't think like you. If you don't know that already. Wives, your husbands don't think like you. If you don't know that already. And of all the ways that we are different, one of the ways, one of the primary ways that men and women are different is that we love differently. We feel love differently. C.S. Lewis once observed that uh, that women in that women think of love as taking trouble for other people, and men tend to think of love as not giving other people trouble. Right? So, so consider the difference. Women view love that when a woman loves someone, it is her job to take their troubles away. Men view love by saying, I'm not going to add my troubles to your life. I mean, consider, consider a wife who, tells, who, who can look at her husband and say and tell very clearly he is upset, he is bothered by something, he's got a lot on his mind. And so in her mind, in her, in her gracious and loving heart, she comes to her husband and says, tell me what's going on. Tell me how I can help you. Let me carry this burden with you. And in her mind, she's doing the most loving thing that she knows to do. But the husband, on the flip side of that, says, well, I need to love my wife. And the best way that I can love my wife is by not adding my troubles to her. And so he says, I don't want to burden you with this. I don't want to, I don't, I want to put this on you. And what happens, what happens more often than not, is a misunderstanding. You have a wife and a husband who are both trying to love each other, and yet at the same time, neither one feels loved. Because the wife says, well, why is he being so distant? Why won't he let me help him? Why won't he come to me? Why, won't, why can't we be close? Maybe he's not loving me. And then the husband is saying... Why is she bothering me about this? Can't she tell that I'm trying to protect her from this? That I'm trying to love her by by keeping her safe from my problems? And so we need to start thinking about, as we understand this submission, respect, love, honor, and obedience, we have to start thinking about what the other person needs rather than how we want to give it. And this goes back to Darcy's question. What's the difference? Why are husbands called to love and why are wives called to respect? Because husbands run on respect and wives run on love and parents run on honor. It is like different car engines that run on different types of gas. You've got some that run on diesel, some that need premium, others that just need unleaded. And if you put the wrong thing into the tank, it's not going to go anywhere. And so we have to consider not what gas we want to give, but what gas is needed to make that engine run. And remembering this, <clears throat> remembering this keeps us from giving what we would like to be getting, which is what we're really good at. We give love in ways that we feel loved. George Bernard Shaw once observed that we should not do unto others as we would have them do unto us. He said, don't do that. He said their taste may not be the same as ours. He goes on to uh, a pastor taking this observation goes on to say, he said, I once knew a husband 
who wanted to love his wife. And so for Christmas, he bought her a really nice shotgun. And so this this wife, being a very shrewd and wise Christian woman, decided that next Christian, she would return the favor. And she bought her husband a really beautiful string of pearls that were very nice pearls. Right. Like this doesn't this doesn't work when we give others what we want. We don't give them what they want and what they need. And often when a marriage is in a tough spot, both spouses tend to give what they feel that they need, love or respect, respectively. Wives reach out to their husbands in love when what their husbands really need is respect. Husbands then can back away, thinking of this as a form of respect. That what she needs is space. I need to give her room. I need to respect her as a person and give her time to think. When what she really needs is you're backing away. She really needs you closer. You see, when we switch to this way of thinking, when, when wives respect their husbands, when husbands love their wives, when children honor their parents, something happens. Something transformational happens. Husbands, as you love your wife, and, and, and make a mistake, Paul's standard of love, that how you are to love your, your wives, is not to be missed. You are to love your wives in the same manner that Christ loves the church, his bride. And that doesn't mean, we're, we're not talking about if you were ever in a life-threatening situation and someone points a gun at your wife, you have to be willing to jump in front of the bullet. Like, yes, of course you should do that. I don't know of many husbands that wouldn't do that. But how many life-threatening situations do any of our husbands and wives ever find themselves in over the course of their 50, 60 years of marriage? So are we only called to, to love our wives when someone threatens them? Or is this an everyday thing? The Danny Aiken, the president of the seminary that I attended, would always say that Okay, yes, we get it. Husbands, you should lay down your lives for your wife. You should jump in front of the bullet. And many husbands will do that without thinking about it. But what Paul is after is what he's asking is not will you sacrifice your life for them. But what he's asking is will you wash the dishes for them? Will you give up your Saturday for them? Will you give up your time and energy and plans and desires and the things that you want to see done? Will you give that all up for them? That's sacrifice. And the same way for wives. Wives, you are called to submit and to respect your husbands in the same way, in a, in a mirror image, the way that the church submits to and respects Christ. And see, here's, here's where submission gets testy, where we don't like that word. Because the reason we don't like that word is because submission feels very slave-like. We hear wives submit to your own husbands and we think you do what he says no matter what. And, and Paige kind of clarified a lot of this of what submission is and isn't last week. And so I don't want to repeat any many of that, much of that stuff. But what this is commanded to do, when we the, to help us understand what submission is, we don't need to look at a marriage. We need to look at what marriage points us to. And it's the relationship between Christ and the church. We, as Christians, are called to submit and respect Christ. Are we not? Is this submission to Christ slave-like? Or is it joyful 
willful. Because we love him, we do what he says. Because look at what he's done for us. Look at how he has saved us and transformed us and brought us to himself. I don't obey Christ because he says do it or else. I obey Christ because I want to. Because it brings honor and glory and respect. And and, and I want him and everyone else around me to see just how truly worthy he is of my obedience and submission and respect. Because when I see him this way, when I understand him to be who he is, then I have no choice but to do everything in my power to joyfully, lovingly obey his commands. Because I want to. Because he's worthy of it. Wives, your call to respect and submit your husbands is to mirror that relationship between Christ and the church. But here's the catch. And it's probably a catch I don't need to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Your husbands are not Jesus. We are sometimes wrong, are we not? (laughs) But only sometimes. The, The reality is that husbands are not perfect. Christ is. When Christ gives a command, we don't have to wonder if this is for our good or if it's something we should or shouldn't obey. And sometimes when, our hus- when husbands make decisions and, and make choices and say this is what we're doing, wives, you being, being submissive, being a wife, doesn't mean you can never call into question the choices and the things that he, he says or does. You have every right and every responsibility to come to your husband when he makes a bad decision to say, hey, I don't think that was the best thing to do. But there's a way in which you can do this and share these these thoughts and and feelings about it that honor his position as your head. Where you can come and you can say, hey, look, you you are the leader of this family and I understand and I respect your position. However, I think that we've made a mistake here. I think that we haven't thought this through. I think there's more prayer involved. I think we need more discussion about this. Can we find a time where you and I can sit down and discuss before we continue down this path? When a wife does this, she is doing two things. She is submitting to her husband while also sharing possible disagreements with her husband. And she is honoring and respecting his position over her in her life. Husbands, listen to your wives when they do this. But... Back to, to what I'm saying. There is something that happens. There is something transformational that takes place when husbands, wives, and children submit, respect, love, and honor those that need it. You see, when a wife respects her husband and she submits to him knowing that who he is and what God has called him to be for her, something happens not only to the wife, but... Also to the husband. When a wife respects her husband, he becomes more respectable. He grows. And he begins, when, when, he, when he is receiving the respect that his heart needs and craves and desires, he grows in that respect by God's grace. When a husband loves his wife, when when he sacrifices for her, she transforms. And Paul gives us very clearly what this transformation looks like by pointing us again to Christ and the church. Because this is what Paul says that Jesus does. Because Christ laid down his life for the church, as Christ loves her, she becomes washed with the water of the word. 
She so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ does for the church. And then in verse 28, Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives. Husbands, you are to love your wives in such a sacrificial, self-giving love that as you do this, your wife becomes more lovely. She becomes more beautiful, more precious, more worthy. And it's the same for parents. Children, we obey and we honor our parents not only because God tells us to, but we, as we do this, as you obey your parents and as you show honor to them, your parents actually become more honorable. They hear you more. They listen. They care better because they know you better and because they know that you love and honor them. And I think if we were to dive in, as, as Rachel pointed out, the command to honor your father and mother is the first of the commands of God that comes with a promise. If you do this, it will go well with you and you will live long in the land. This is a promise. Honoring parents is not just something you should do. It's something you must do and you receive blessings from it. And it's the same for husbands and it's the same for wives. Husbands, love your wives. And as you do it, the blessings that you get to do is you get to watch your wife transform into this even more lovely and even more beautiful creature that Christ loves and God created. Wives, submit to and respect your husbands and you will get to watch him grow in his leadership and grow in his respectability. And you will get a front row seat to seeing him grow into the man that God has called him to be. Now, I know that we're, we're running out of time, but... A lot of this discussion in, in gender roles in the family, I get, is, is difficult. We have, we have a, a, a few, several single people within the church, and a few of you are here this morning. And I, the last thing I want you to, to take away from this morning is that none of this is for you. Because it absolutely is. Because here's, here's the reality for, for singles in the church. The married people around you need you, and you need the married people around you. And here's why. You are called as a, as a brother and a sister to have front row open book access into the marriages of the people around you. Uh, into brothers and sisters. There's no reason that brothers and sisters should hide things that are happening in their marriage from brothers and sisters. Whether they are married or single. And so if you're here this morning and you are single, let me give you two challenges. First, honor and protect the marriages of the church, the marriages of the people you love. That means don't put yourself in a situation that would cause any crumbling of the foundation of any of the marriages around you. Support, encourage, uplift. And when necessary, confront. And, and bring to, to light sin that you see taking place in marriages. Second reason and thing for, for you as, as a single woman or a single man being single, and, and this is, we often talk about marriage being this, this great gift from God, and it absolutely is. Singleness, the Bible is clear, is also a gift from God. There's no distinction of, of the measure of these gifts. We as a culture and we as a people tend to view it differently. 
And we very often and sadly treat singles as a second class citizens. This is not what the Bible t- says. The Apostle Paul even goes so far as to say that he wished that everyone could remain single as he were. Because then, because the reason that he gives is that single people can give themselves without reservation to the cause and to the mission of Christ. If you are single, you have one primary concern in your life. What brings honor to the Lord? And then you go and do it. You don't have to worry about submission and respect and all these other things that that husbands and wives have to do and how they they love. But you should be concerned and show love and affection for the marriages around you. And then go and serve the Lord fully and completely. All right, I'm out of time, but questions on any of this? Anything? Make sense? Well, you said the Bible doesn't say one has to be married because you're already married to the church. Right. Yes. And the, and the thing about marriage is the marriage, we, we talk about communion every week as being this, this picture of, what's, of what Christ has done and what, what's to come. Marriage, likewise, is a picture. It is a picture of the relationship that Christ will have forever with his bride, the church. Which means very clearly that when the day comes and we don't have the real thing and we actually get to see the marriage between Christ and his bride, we no longer need the picture. Like, you won't be married in heaven. And there won't be need for marriage in heaven. Because we will already have the real thing. And, and so, one of the, the great blessings of marriage, and one of the things that we need to understand about marriage, is that marriage is for now. It is not forever. Which is good, because some marriages end badly. Some husbands are bad husbands. Some wives are bad wives. And there's a grace to that. That you're not bound to the losers that you married forever. That's grace. But the reality is that marriage points us to Jesus. And we do get him forever. And he's a much better husband than any of us will ever be. And he will make his bride, the church, into a much better wife than any of us will ever be. Next week, we're going to flip the script and do have a, a similar discussion. But instead of the family, we're going to look at the church. And so it will be less marriage but more church roles. And how do men and women work in the church together to accomplish the mission of God?